Today's sermon is Hope That Moves a Skeptic. Turn to Matthew chapter 2. That's going to be our primary scripture. Hope That Moves a Skeptic. Let me ask this question. What if Jesus never showed up? Now, many of you had great hope that Angus Weenoggin was never going to show his face again, and your Christmas wish has been granted. Angus is still stuck in Scotland. He couldn't make a guest appearance. Uh, He's been banned from the United States and especially this church. But, you know, a lot of people didn't really get what that was about last year, and it was simply a a demonstration or a play or a soliloquy, as I thought, on that whole concept, what if Jesus never came? How would you answer these questions? If Jesus never showed up, how would your life be different? How would the world be different? How would death be different? You know, these questions should make us ponder how life is different because of Jesus, the hope of Israel. And what a beautiful thing that we don't have to think or dwell on it too very long because Jesus did show up, did He not? Let's pray that the Lord would instruct and open our hearts and our eyes this morning as we get into Scripture. Bow with me. Father, we ask that You instruct us. We ask that Your Spirit moves within the Scripture to apply to each person what needs to be heard. We pray that this time in Your Word inspires us and lifts us up and that we are able to walk from here today closer to You and inspired because of the hope of Christ. We pray these things in Your name. Amen. Well, let's start with the main text this morning, Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to focus, you'll see a little bit of a change here and there in the coloration. The coloration when it goes to gold is a point of emphasis, so let me start with the passage starting in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod, the king of the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertaining from them what time the star had appeared, and and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, 
they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return, they departed to their own country by another way. I want to focus on the prophecy from Micah. What is quoted here is a prophecy from Micah 5. And if you look at what this prophecy states and the quoting of it, it says, And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So the chief priests knew of the prophecy. Isn't it amazing that they were missing out on hope? Their whole existence, their whole occupation was based off of looking for Messiah. Here comes individuals traveling from afar saying that they were told to follow the star. It would rest upon the place where the king would be. And even when consulted by Herod, we have no record of these religious leaders having any concern or thought that this could be the Christ child. They missed those who should have been watching most closely. Missed, but they knew the truth. But they failed to act. Even Herod, crazy Herod, did more in conviction to this prophecy than the religious leaders did. And we'll show that in a moment. But this is the prophecy out of Micah. And, and those who were well-trained Jews knew this prophecy in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least of the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is the hope of the prophecy of Micah. We're going to be looking at a couple more prophecies from the Old Testament, and some may amaze you how they connect so tightly to the Christmas story, to the very part of the Christmas story that we're looking at today that in fact should give us hope. How many of us have had hope torn away because someone promised something and never followed through with it? And then when they promised something again, do we put a lot of hope into those promises? But if someone were to promise the impossible and it actually came true, and it wasn't just one promise, it was multiple promises over and over and over, would we feel comfortable? Would we feel convicted? Would we choose to place our hope into that truth? That's something for us to examine this morning. Hope that moves the skeptic. Well, hope in the Advent moved the wise men. Obviously, we're looking at the wise men this morning. And so it moved them to what? To travel. We don't know how far out they were. All we know is they were traveling for quite a while. They could have been traveling for anywhere from one and a half to two years. We see in the text that Herod asked them about what time did you see the star? And he was able to figure out because Herod asked for what? Herod goes to the 
the horrible infanticide of killing within Bethlehem and maybe the region all boys under the age of two years of age. Therefore, that would stipulate there's a strong possibility these individuals traveled for a year and a half to two years. Now, that's the ultimate road trip, folks. How long is our hope able to sustain us in following Christ? How long have you been praying particular prayers, asking that God would show Himself? How long are you willing to continue to pursue with the hope of the realization of what's promised? Are you willing to travel? How far are you willing to pursue Jesus? They were moved to give gifts. They were moved to give gifts. Something interesting about these gifts is that they gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We all know the story. And it's always fun to watch during our live action nativity. Our, our wise men coming, following an incredibly luminous star that's held on a stick, usually by David. And, uh, and our wise men are carrying gifts from afar, and, and their acting is second to none. You really got to see these guys. Who knew? Who knew that these guys could be such wise men? And yet they bring their gifts. You know, it's interesting about these gifts that they had particular purpose. They had particular purpose in this speaks back to even some other prophecy, but tradition tells us that the gift of gold traditionally, historically, would be reserved for a king. Now we start to see some intention behind what they brought. They came with the understanding that where they would arrive, there would be a future king. And so they made sure that their gifts were appropriate. I believe that there's so much forethought or foresight in these gifts that it tells the story of what Jesus' life and death and resurrection would be. The recognition that who they would see is a king. Frankincense. Historically, frankincense throughout the Middle East was a gift that was given as a sacrifice of worship to a deity that's the provenance of frankincense which i don't know that i've I w come on admit it when you hear frankincense how many of you think frankenstein okay well what is frankincense and, and just think of incense to a certain degree that's that's kind of it would fill temples and there would be an, a, a particular aroma, and the association with that aroma had everything to do with worship of a what? Of a deity. Isn't that amazing? The intention of these gifts? Well, get ready, because myrrh is going to blow your socks off. Myrrh was the third gift we have listed. Myrrh was a particular ointment and fragrance that was used for embalming. It was a gift for those about to die. Isn't that amazing that these three gifts had such intentions? 
They weren't just random gifts brought because that's what they had at the local Walmart. Right? These guys didn't just rush out on Christmas Eve and, and grab something that was at the dollar store, like me. My family has no hope. How do our gifts serve a purpose? This year, with the gifts that you're going to give, my encouragement to us is to think through beyond a gift card. Now, for some, maybe a gift card would be incredibly valuable, and that says everything. But as you choose your gifts this year, think about the intention and the purposefulness of how this will provide for the person that you're giving the gift to. Many of us have heard that what would soon happen is under Herod's sacrifice of the innocents, is that Mary and Joseph fleed to where? Thank you, Hanny. I can't believe you didn't get that one right. You just sit back there quiet like a pharaoh. Unbelievable. The Holy Family escapes to Egypt, and if you want to hear all about that and what they did, ask Hanny and Elham, ask Magda, ask Sinet. They all know what they were doing down there in Egypt. I'd love to know someday. Um, but you, what were they doing? Oh, yes, they went for the food. <laughs> Why did I not know that? <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. That's, that's amazing. But think about the cost for a poor family that was displaced. You see, where the religious leaders didn't catch it is that later on we see in the book of John that they said, wait a minute, how can the Christ come from Galilee? He's supposed to come from where? From Bethlehem. Why were they in Bethlehem? They were in Bethlehem because they had to go for the census. And Mary had a cousin there, Elizabeth. Historian scholars believe that because of that support and because of Elizabeth's husband's position at the temple, it gave them refuge and opportunity so that they could find refuge there in Bethlehem. And that's why they were there for a period of time. It was obviously God's ordained will that they would be there. But chances are they probably didn't have a lot because of not having deep roots in the community. Maybe some instability in, in economic opportunity and resources. And yet look at what God provided that they would have the money to escape from Herod. How long have you been waiting in hope for God to provide for you in a supernatural way? Maybe this Christmas, what we give as a gift can be that answer for others around us. The very thing that they would need to escape the challenges of sin and death. What a beautiful demonstration of God's sovereign act within three strangers or four. Okay, there's, you guys are out there, all right? Well, there's no evidence it was only three wise men. Okay, I know you're out there. Okay, and I said it. I take it back. I retract it. We don't know how many wise men. We don't know how many thieves are on the cross. I got it. Let's refocus. The point is very simple. God was involved in creating hope for the royal family. God was involved in demonstrating intentionality through the gift-giving of these 
individuals that traveled afar. They were moved to give gifts. Next, they were moved to worship. That when they actually found the child, it says in Scripture that they were moved to bow down in worship. They had exceeding joy. When hope is realized, it manifests exceeding joy. Have you tasted that joy? I hope you have. I hope you have. They would tell you that the journey wasn't easy. They would tell you they stopped off in Jerusalem and probably took a breather and were discouraged. Why else would they go to the king? Why would they go to Herod? Herod was not a popular guy. Even if you were from out of town, Herod was not a popular guy. And yet these guys were just looking and watching and wondering because I don't believe that the star had landed where it needed to land. So they were kind of stalled out. Have you been stalled out recently in your hope? But God provided. God finished what He promised those individuals traveling. And so they responded in worship. You see, the end of the journey, when you actually see the fruit of what you have sacrificed for, brings exceeding joy. And it informs hope. So when you're in the next position where you are hoping for God's providence or working within your life, God provides. And you have greater faith that He will provide because you've seen it over and over and over in your life. And it brings out exceeding joy. They were moved to worship. How is our worship moved by hope? It's interesting, there is a prophecy out of Psalm 72 that this should inform our hope. Psalm 72 is a prophetic passage of Scripture that actually is attributed to Solomon, one of the few psalms attributed to Solomon, and it is undisputedly about Jesus Christ, and yet look at what was written. May He have dominion from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before Him, and His enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render Him what? Tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring what? And how many years prior? Oh, it's so fun to see your faces right now. I was waiting all week. You should see George's face right now. What? This has been in the Bible this whole time? How many of you, this is a new idea that it was prophesied that the wise men would bring these gifts all the way back in Psalm, Psalms with Solomon? So then you learn something. I should just close up the Bible right now. We're done. We learned something. That's fantastic. It says what? In context to worship, that the response by the kings is may all kings fall down before him and all nations serve him. Remember, we've been in Philippians. And towards the end of Philippians, or at the end of chapter 2, it says, and every nation and every knee will what? Will bow. Because the king has been born. Well, let's look at this idea of, we looked at the wise men, and we looked at how hope informed them, how their hope was realized, how their hope was satisfied, how God was working within that hope. Do you think in their travels they ever would have become skeptical? Have you ever been skeptical of your navigation or ways? And that's on a short trip. Maybe even to the grocery store. Imagine 
These individuals are just following a star. What happens if it's foggy out? Think of all the opportunities to become skeptical and turn back. What about arriving at a giant river or a big canyon and the star just keeps going? Guys, I can just see myself being the, the eighth wise man, right? Guys, really, seriously, I, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's worth it. I, I think we should, you know, home's looking pretty good right about now. At, at least that stop burrito place we, we could have stopped off at, you know. In your own journey, in hoping in Christ, has He changed the heart of the skeptic? I have to believe that those who traveled to worship the child that day had moments of skepticism. And yet Jesus changed the heart of the skeptic. How did he do that with Herod? You know, that's an interesting concept. Because I don't know that Herod's heart was changed per se, but that's not the question. The hope against the advent of Jesus moved Herod. It moved Herod. You know, it's an interesting story. There's a couple that had twins. And they noticed early on that one of their boys was always an optimist and the other one was always a pessimist. I don't know if that's ever happened in your family. Wow, you guys are good poker players. I was watching to see <laughs> if I could get any dirt on y'all. Um, but the, the story goes that finally it got pretty bad <laughs> around age seven for these boys so they went to the doctor and they asked the doctor, you know, we're not really sure what to do about this. And obviously they weren't worried about the optimist. They were worried about what? The skeptic, the, the, the pessimist. And so the doctor said, I'll tell you what, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give one of the, the, the kids, the pessimist, give him a brand new bike. Okay. And, and, and then here's what I want you to do for the, the pessimist or the optimist. I want you to give him a box of manure. Okay. So the parents thought that this was kind of radical medical treatment and questioned it, but their hope was it would fix their pessimist. So they followed through, and the pessimist on Christmas Day opened up their brand new bike, saw it, and out of their mouth comes, oh great, I'm going to break my arm now. And then, out of the optimist, he opens up the box of manure, looks at it, looks at his parents, and then runs out the front door yelling, there's got to be a pony around here somewhere. <laughs> that is the beautiful picture of hope. Right? But sometimes you feel like you can never break the heart of the skeptic. You may not be able to break the heart of the skeptic, but the heart of the skeptic can be moved because of hope. Sometimes that's all you need is some movement. Let's look at it through Herod's eyes. So, this whole prophecy out of Micah 5.2, the showing up of these strangers into his territory, the questions about where a king would be born prompted and moved Herod's skeptical heart to what? To inquire. 
What does the scripture tell us? It says that he pulled together the religious leaders of the Jews and he said, tell me about this prophecy. Now, do you think Herod, a Roman governor, should be all that concerned about an old Jewish prophecy? Probably not. In most other ways, he didn't concern himself one iota. But Herod had some history with the Jews. He's a, he was an Idumean. He came from the region, but he was connected to Caesar's family, so he was given the governorship. So he knew a little bit about Messiah. The bottom line is, when these three showed up and started asking questions, it moved the skeptic's heart. You should be amazed by that, because wouldn't most people just brush it off? Maybe if you were Herod, you wouldn't have even given audience to these three individuals. But even if you gave them audience, maybe you wouldn't have inquired. You just would have said, oh, this is just one of the, the mythologies of the Jewish people. Yet Herod was moved to inquire. You know, that's the first step of hope changing the heart of the skeptic. Secondly, oh, the, what that should prompt in us is this idea of, for you and I, do we know what? Do we know the power of prophecy? This morning when I shared a couple prophetic sections of Scripture already, we may have one more. There was a deeper resolve that happened in our hearts about the hope of Christ and the fulfillment of God's promises to do what He says He's going to do. Do you know the power of prophecy? This is where you start. This is how the heart of the skeptic is changed. Get in and learn what the prophecies were. And if you can prove them wrong then you can remain a skeptic. But there's no hope for you. All right, let's go to the second point. It moved Herod's skeptical heart to what? To believe. So much so that Herod invoked the assassination of the innocents, as it's termed. The massacre of the innocents, as it's termed. If you do a study on Herod, you would know he, he was crazy anyway. As a matter of fact, a, uh, a historian from the 4th century, Macrobius, said this, it's better to be Herod's pig than his son. Why would he say that? Because with the massacre of the innocents, Herod killed his own son that was under age 2. That's how threatened he was by the hope of Jesus. And that's what I want you to hear. The idea that the hope of Christ moved Herod's skeptical heart to believe. You don't go and assassinate your own son and all those under the age of two if you don't believe the probability of this prophecy, even if you are skeptical. You see how the skeptical heart of Herod was changed because of hope. Here's some interesting information that comes out of an apocryphal, so understand, this is not Scripture, but there's some interesting history we can glean from the writings of the early church fathers, from even apocryphal writings, from the Gospel of James, which, please don't go with a great level of interest that there's some newfound Bible Scripture. There isn't. This has been dismissed over and over, no matter how many times the History Channel wants to bring it up. It's been dismissed over and over as not inspirational and not the canon of Scripture. But 
it does allow us to peek in with a window into the thinking of those that were there. Here's some interesting things about Herod in this situation. When Herod, this was from, um, well, you'll hear, you'll hear the quote from the Gospel of James. When Herod knew that he had been mocked by the Magi because they turned and ran, in a rage he sent murderers saying to them, slay the children from two years old and under. And Mary, having heard that the children were being killed, was afraid and took the infant and swaddled him and put him into an ox stall. We've always wondered why we have a stable or a manger or a uh, ox stall as part of the, it comes from a his, historical view, not necessarily a biblical one. And then her cousin Elizabeth, having heard that they were searching for John, took him and went up into the hill country and kept looking where to conceal him. And there was no place of concealment. And Elizabeth groaning with a loud voice, says, O mountain of God, receive mother and child. And immediately the mountain was cleft and received her, and a light shone about them. For an angel of the Lord was with them, watching over them. What's interesting is that that sounds pretty far-fetched, doesn't it? And yet if you read one verse past what our scripture was out of Matthew today, you see an angel appeared to Mary and Joseph and told them to flee to Egypt and protected them in fleeing. You know, it is an amazing thing that as we look at the heart of the skeptic and we look at how determined Herod was that he remain in power, we see that hope of a prophecy fulfilled moved even Herod to believe. How do we know that? Well, before we get to that, the question is, do you believe the reality of the pro prophecy? Has that hope of the prophecy fulfilled changed your heart so that you believe? You cannot move and act as a believer in Jesus Christ until you actually believe. You cannot believe until you actually inquire. You see how hope informs us and leads us into that path of righteousness and that relationship with Jesus Christ. Third point, it moved Herod's skeptical heart to what? To act. Because so many people say they believe, but they never do anything. They never act on it. Many of you will receive gifts. I hope all of you <laughs> receive gifts. But if you never open the gift, have you really received it? My question to you is this. Have you ever given a gift and the hope of the acceptance of that gift is at your fingertips. You're so excited about hoping that the person enjoys and receives it with, with great excitement, right? But they never open your gift. Do they believe you gave it? Sure. But do they act on what they believe? So they might receive the fullness of the gift. You see, we can believe in hope, but until we act in hope, we surrender the things that Jesus has brought to us. In closing this morning, I ask you this question, do you act on the hope of Jesus? A despot is always threatened by hope. When we look at the idea 
of a skeptic's heart being changed because of hope, hope doesn't necessarily lead a person into the path of righteousness. Herod never believed in in Jesus as his personal Savior. His hope was that he could kill off the threat to his own power. Brothers and sisters, does that not fit within the scope of why we choose to disregard Jesus as King? To understand the hope of what's been offered by God is to say Jesus is what? Is King. And that the hope of that statement would change our hearts to surrender our what? Our power. Because we trust that He is benevolent. We trust that He is good. We trust that He is righteous and worthy of us sacrificing our own power to follow Him. This is where Herod missed it. And this is where despots miss it over and over. A despot is always threatened by hope. Historically, despots are moved to crush hope, dispel hope, control hope. By their very actions, they no longer hold to a cynical or skeptical view of hope, but rather become its greatest promoter. Even a skeptic, responds and acts to hope. But sometimes we respond and act in the wrong way. We feel threatened. Brothers and sisters, today as we look at the hope of Jesus Christ, believe it or not, there are those who feel threatened by the hope of Jesus Christ. I pray that that is not you. I pray that what you see in Jesus Christ is life. Life eternal. All the things He promises... Because he is worthy of being trusted, odds against odds to fulfill all these prophecies, and yet he did. Remember that the other prophecy that's still out there to be redeemed is his return. And if all those prophecies were fulfilled with the first advent, guess what's going to happen with the second advent? Why? Because he's worthy of being trusted. Because he has our best interests in mind. Because there's joy and peace and eternal life in Jesus Christ. Let me close today with this idea. Jeremiah 31.15 is one of the other prophecies. It says, Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are what? They are no more. Even Jeremiah prophesied about what would happen to the innocents in the Bethlehem region. Is it enough for you to have hope that God is worthy to be trusted? To see prophecy after prophecy after prophecy actually come to heart. Hope that moves a skeptic. Let me ask these questions. We started this morning with these questions. Is your heart moved? Is your heart moved? Well, here's how you can look at at that question. Let's go back to where we were. How is your life different because of the hope of Jesus? Remember, the initial questions were, how would your life be different if Jesus never showed up? Well, he did. And because he did, there is hope. So that begs the question for you and I this morning, what? How is my life different because of the hope of Jesus? If we can't answer that yet, don't go to the next two questions. Just work on that one today. Really look and examine so you get some traction in your spiritual life. But secondly, if you can answer that, let me ask this question. How is your world different because of the hope of Jesus? My world is vastly different. 
vastly different. And this is not an uncommon question for me to ask myself every once in a while. Where would I be without Jesus? Now that's a double-edged sword, right? If Jesus never came like he promised he would, that's part of the, that's one half of the sword. But the other half is the heart of the skeptic that chooses not to hope in Jesus and deny that Jesus actually came. That changes my whole world. But when I, in fact, believe hope is established, hope is realized, hope informs, hope moves the heart of the skeptic. Lastly, hope is, how is your death different because of the hope of Jesus? Can anybody here answer that question? Let me help you. I embrace the idea of being with the one that promised immeasurable accomplishments. This is where I want to be. Therefore, I can't tell you right now because I feel pretty healthy, heart's being pretty good, but I have thought through that moment If I have the chance to think about it, I would think because of the hope of Jesus, there will be a smile on my face. Jesus Jesus provides pearls of hope in a sea of doubt. I thought I'd close with this this morning. I, I revealed to you, I confessed to you a few weeks ago, just a really bad parenting skill where we allow our children, kids in the audience, do not put this pressure on your parents. Just hear me clearly. It's just bad parenting. Where we allowed our children to declare an ollie ollie oxen free one day out of the school year. And so my beloved gentry declared an ollie ollie oxen free, and so we were going to make it matter, so we took a trip into the city together. Now, in order to do that, we had to make it educational, so we took the duck tours, and she learned a lot about the 49er, not the 49er football team, but the 49ers that came in the gold rush, and she learned about economics. She learned how to drive a boat in McCovey Cove. They let her drive the boat, so she learned nautical, seafaring, tile choice. I mean, they wouldn't have taught her that in school. We finished the duck tour, and we're walking along Fisherman's Wharf, and there it is. There's the opportunity. There's the suck you in and steal your money moment, right? Outside a jewelry store, in the window, there is a bowl of oysters, and then there's one that's open that has a pearl the size of a cinnamon muffin, (laughs) right? Laying in there, and it says, for $12.99, Come on in and crack open your own oyster. And Gentry sees it, and I can just see it in her eyes. She really, Dad, no way. And I'm like, Yahweh, yeah. Yahweh, please, you know, interfere. And so the inevitable, just to cut to the short, yeah, I go in, and the skeptic, we're throwing away $12.95. At least I'm going to turn this into a lesson on economics, right? I'm gearing up for the whole thing, the disappointment, all that's going on there, the heart of the skeptic. 
They crack open the oyster so you actually can't see it, but we spread out so that there was no way, because I was like really skeptical. I'm like, even if there is a pearl, they're going to switch it out. They've got these things hidden under the counter, presto majesto, and, and you got nothing, right? And they bank the pearl and, and your $12.95, and you go home with a, a pony sticker. I don't know. And so we're spread out, and the person just keeps taking a long time. And a long time, like, so finally I just said, so wh what do you got back there? And they mumble something at me. And, and eventually they had to turn around, and they had a huge black pearl and my daughter's face lit up and I just was like uh, because I knew it was coming the upsell right oh you can't have that and just walk out you need a necklace that goes on it let me show you how you could put that in a ring setting let me show you and I just kept saying nope nope Nope, the pearl is beautiful. She's happy. I'm happy. $12.95. <laughs> I learned that day that my daughter's hope could change the heart of the skeptic. A real simple story that we can marginalize. But think about that on spiritual implications with the heart of, of hope of what Jesus can do to change the heart of the skeptic. Let me close in prayer this morning. Father, we come to You understanding that hope has an incredibly powerful message. It moves us. I pray this morning that each of us today can answer those questions about how does hope change the world that we're in? How does hope change our life? How does hope change our death? I pray that we can see as we inquire how the prophecies were there and how the truth and the manifestation of Your Son exactly the way it was prophesied and even the kings coming and bowing before Him so much so that the heart of the skeptic, Herod, was changed to believe but to act inappropriately. To act crushingly to act desperately sinfully i pray this morning we do not choose ourselves but i pray that we see the beauty of the advent of jesus christ and the hope that it provides for us thank you father in your name amen